first time since the Leafs hired Brad Tree Living. Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. We decided we'd get together uh, when he did something. And now we're here because it's almost draft time, so I guess we should do something if he's not. Uh <laughs> He had a presser today. We're going to get into that, but I wanted to reconnect with the fellas. Uh, it's been a while. Been a minute. Uh, Nick, the, the lobster season, I guess, is is winding down for you. Yeah, finally uh, finding a little bit more free time to tap back into the hockey world a little bit. I've been up at 4 a.m. and on a boat every day except for like three or four out of the last two months. So that's taken up uh, most of my time and energy but uh, yeah you know silly season starting to get back in the swing here for hockey things and uh, yeah lots to lots percolating out there good season or or what was it is it just steadily declining like everything else yeah it's pretty much steadily declining like everything else you know the, the first few <laughs> weeks are you know high octane you're, you're you're trying to make hay while the sun shines so to speak and then as as time goes on, it gets uh, progressively more monotonous and less exciting. And yeah, that's where I'm at uh, with about two or three days left in the season at this point. Keith, what's the uh, higher number in the last month? Uh, Nick boat trips or Keith flights? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. If you count all the connecting flights and stuff like that, I might have, I might have that's you. That's it. Yeah, finally. Got to that sounds some... worse than being on a boat every day to me, man. <laughs> It's not in Europe, man. Europe has it figured out. Their airlines are so much better than ours. It's outrageous and cheaper. Um, yeah, I finally got to do some traveling that wasn't work-related or, um, you know. So basically, Cam didn't want to do any podcasts by himself, and that's why yeah, it's exactly, so long yeah. for us to get back to <laughs> Exactly, yeah. The downside about traveling when it's not paid for by work is that you have to pay for it yourself. So <laughs> I am still financially recovering from Europe, but it was super fun. You got lots of time to just hole up and do some podcasting the mm-hmm. next little bit to uh, recuperate. Well, what about you, Cam? What have you been up to? Uh, not too much. It's been you know a fairly quiet summer so far also kind of you know laying low a little bit i got a big trip coming up in in november to fiji which is going to be quite pricey so you're doing your financial recovering right now ahead of time i do, like it. doing it well i'm going to do both i'm going to do it on the front end <laughs> and the back end i think uh but uh yeah no it's it's been a good summer so far um you know wildfires uh, accepted um which didn't uh, affect you know us at all, but uh, was a pretty wild time to to be in the Halifax area for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know we're we're back together here with uh, the draft about twenty four hours out, um, and we're hoping that this will stay relevant for most of that time. Uh, Brad Tree Living, as we said, had a press conference today and and he did you know suggest that it seems pretty likely he's going to keep the pick and make the pick at number 28 overall in the first round uh i I will see ultimately you know you can't really take anything to heart too much uh at this time of year but um what what uh what have your thoughts been i guess so far guys on on tree living the work he's he's done or not done so far any thoughts perhaps on, on the presser today nick i think the the biggest thing for me that has stood out as a positive uh, i mean it's hard to take too much when there's been very little in the way of transactions uh since he's taken over but i think that in itself is kind of something you can point at as an indicator uh, of how he's going to operate at the helm of the leafs I think a lot of people who were supporters of Kyle Dubas were probably fearful of whoever was coming in to replace him, kind of undoing some of the the work that he had done over the last few years. So 
I've been encouraged by the fact that True Living hasn't just come in and tried to, you know, make a splash or put a stamp on this team just for the sake of it. He seems like he's, you know, really trying to get a feel for the team. He's been calculated in the, the process of how he's analyzing everything. And yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's going to be any kind of snap reactions or snap judgments. And I think for, you know, say what you will about the, the past playoff failures and what have you, for a team as talented as the Leafs and, and what they've been able to to do, at least in the regular season over the last few years, I think it's it's encouraging that he isn't just coming in and looking to kind of blow things up and put his own stamp on the team. Well, speaking of snap reactions, uh, Keith, what was yours? Because, you know, Nick and I got together right after the announcement of uh, Dubas's firing. We, we haven't, you know, talked to you since that. And then obviously into into tree living. Um, you know, we don't, we don't need to get into Dubas too much just yet. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on. But just, you know, your reaction to kind of the announcement of, of uh, the hiring of tree living and, and you know, what, what he's kind of done since. Yeah, I mean, it kind of ties into the Dubas thing, too, because I think, you know, all along, you know, just to kind of echo what what Nick was just saying there, I think my biggest fear with losing Dubas is that somebody was going to come in and do that kind of like put their stamp on the team and maybe make some not great decisions and things that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily like. So him, the fact that he hasn't just come in and cleaned house as much as maybe you know, there was times where I kind of wanted that or, or at least was willing to entertain something like that where there was a big piece. Well, and there's out. definitely been an appetite amongst the fan yeah, base, right? So a little bit time. of external pressure. And he would have had it, a ton of external pressure yeah. to do it. And in like knowing that he could have come in and completely like almost immediately endeared himself to at least a big quotient of the fan base, not everybody, right? With uh, like, if you go out and move a, a big piece, but yeah, no, I mean, the fact that he's come in, he's been calculated. I've been happy with it, but you, you know, when it first happened, um, when when it was announced that Dubis wasn't coming back, True Living was the True Living was the first name that kind of came to mind for me. So I'm I was all right with the signing. I, I mean, I don't or the the hiring. Um, you know, it's not the the most exciting name in the world. I, you know, it's a bit of a recycling of of name a name that's been around for a while. But I mean, he's not, he doesn't stand out to me as a guy who's I was like immediately upset of. about which <laughs> yeah. was like i guess a win in and of itself when you look at some of the other names that were out there yeah it's a recycling but not in the sense that like it's a guy who's had a million jobs right. and has been in it since he was you know 35 and now he's 70 right like mm-hmm. it's it's a guy who kind of uh, you know he's he's obviously had a few gigs before uh, getting the the main job as as you know the flames gm but this is kind of his second main gig and and you know one of my um impressions certainly from the press conference and I mean everything to this point but man he's got the media eating out of his hands and that's a good thing yeah that's, that, that's one thing that like Dubas just never it felt like never was going to be able to do they hated him from day one just because of the caricature <laughs> that had been built around him it was yeah. never going to to get to that point but um, I mean tree living has no problem there no he's been very well spoken and I think he's said a lot of the right things ever since taking over and again, I think it just goes back to the fact that he's really trying to take his time in how he analyzes what is already in place before he tries to, you know, put his own mark on the team. So uh, that is definitely coming soon, but it's and it's going to start with the draft tomorrow night. Uh, but really, everything that, that's going to take place with this team moving forward is is really going to revolve around what happens with Austin Matthews and William Nylander, right? Yeah, and I mean like you said, there's a lot of time and he's going to do stuff. And I know there's a lot of anxiety amongst the fan base right now that you're seeing other moves and other teams get better, but you know, these aren't the only players available in the NHL 
that could be acquired this off season or signed this off season. Like let's, let's maybe take a breath. I know it's a lot of scar tissue and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, whatever, but let, let's at least let the guy have a full off season and do what he needs, what he's going to do to make the team better. He's not just going to completely run it back. Although that report that they're looking at Kerfoot in camp, <laughs> that was a little bit scary, but I just can't see it. I can't see that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this is the one thing, right? Like with, with tree living, it sounds like he's the guy who's kicking tires and everything. So it, it, we're going to have to kind of learn to put this in, in perspective. Right. And I think that that's a part of it, not only, you know, on the trade front, but also like I, when I saw that, my initial thought was, yeah, I mean, Kerfoot's a guy who's been around a while. Um, you know, they like him by all accounts. I, I think feel Keith like, really likes yeah, him. Right, you know, right up until the end, I feel like they'll have conversations with him. Don't know that that necessarily means that he's kind of penciled into the plans and you know it really i mean it, it depends what the number comes down to it's such a weak crop uh, well what, what number would you be okay with bringing kerfoot back at like two mil or under and i know he's going to get more than that yeah or he should yeah i don't think the, i don't think it's fair to him for me to give a number because exactly. i just i just would like a different look like i just yeah, I, it's I not think that's the it's not thing. him really it's i'm sure there's a team that he could slot in better it's just the leafs I don't know. I would just like a different mix, and we're not going to get that mix in the top six, or or at least with the the, the four you know main main guys. So it's got to come elsewhere, and and he, I think he's just you know maybe not the right mix, and I think we've seen that. And and it, no, that's not like not to get too far into all this shit, but like, is it Alex Kerfoot's fault that you know they are where they were at in the in the all the postseasons? No, like it, it's it's not. But still, I'd like to have somebody else come in that brings a little bit of something different to the full. Well, you're not getting uh, the mix, right? Yeah. Like you're not getting, um, obviously it sounds like the core four is going to be intact barring, you know, something crazy here at the last minute before these, um, no movement clauses kick in or whatever. Like it, it's, it, it, you, you have the, the movement of, of Dubas out and, and tree living in, and, and maybe that's going to kind of be the ultimate thing. But like there are, there is going to be some churn at the bottom of the lineup. And, and you know, Kerfoot's a guy who's been around, been around, through the failures um and you know a guy that they they may like but his role has always kind of been a, a question right and and i think that um he's he just it feels like a guy that you know ufa if you want kind of a new look he, he would be a guy to move on from and for the love of god you got to get some more finishing in the bottom six and he does not bring that yeah that's the the biggest thing i i think for me with alex kerfoot at the right price he, he's a solid piece to a bottom six, but I think the biggest problem with his role on the Leafs over the last few years has just been kind of the redundancy of his skill set uh, on the team. Is I don't think that they've necessarily had the right pieces around him in the bottom six to, to best utilize him or to kind of take some of the burden off of what was expected out of him. And I th- obviously a lot of that comes with how he was acquired and, and the contract that he was signed to. But it just, as you said, Cam, the, the complete lack of finishing ability, you know, he was strong on the penalty kill and gave good defensive minutes and, you know, provided some speed, which is another thing that this team is becoming increasingly short on as time goes on here. But just need something different in that bottom six group, especially if everything else is going to stay the same. So, yeah, I, I think I, I could live with it at, you know, two million or less if they were to bring him back. 
but it, it definitely wouldn't be something that I, I'm no. doing carrot wheels over. Yeah, the speed would be the the thing, right? Like that's you look at the market, you do you determine that you're not going to be able to kind of increase the team speed without kind of keeping Kerfoot and, and maybe making some additions. Like if if you let him go and you're looking for speed, now he becomes the fastest guy in the market. Like that's something to consider, right? Because yeah. it, the, they showed in the playoffs that like the, the foot speed is something that uh, we'll need to improve from, from the roster at the end of last season. Yeah. And I think that's probably the, aside from the, the price point would be the main argument against trying to retain Ryan O'Reilly for all of his strengths and, and all of the, the positive attributes that he showed in his short time with the Leafs last season and into the playoffs he certainly isn't someone who's injecting a whole lot of speed into that forward group he obviously wins in other ways you know with his his stick skills and just his intelligence all over the ice but yeah i i think the the lack of speed was becoming increasingly apparent uh as the season wore on and then especially against florida in the second round it seemed like the leafs were kind of getting skated into the ground at, at times during that series so, yeah, it, it, it's going to be, I think, one of the main focuses of, of Brad Living as he does put his stamp on, on this team over the, the course of the summer is going to be trying to find some more functional speed to add into that forward group. And, you know, our focus there was on Kerfoot, but we should note that the, the Dreger tweet did specify that, you know, David Camp does appear to be uh, kind of the guy the Leafs are more focused on than Kerfoot. So, again, you know, it's a lot of the same kind of issues. Obviously, great defensive center, but, um, you know, not a not a finisher by any means. So, um you just you, you got to make your decisions on who on who you want down there. Two million for Kerfoot or two million for Camp? Who are you guys taking? Yeah. I don't know, neither. But I know that's not <laughs> what you asked. <laughs> but it's like it's if if that's anything, you know, like fully. I think we all were very happy with Dubis's deadline. But you know, if there was anything that Dubis shot, um, you know, in at least in my opinion kind of maybe went overboard on in his last few years of his tenure with the Leafs is acquiring guys that were just so defense first Yeah, that, you know, he tried to build that bottom six where just nothing happened while they were on the ice. And to an extent it, it worked, but it all ultimately every, you know, you look at the amount of goals they were scoring in the playoffs for the last few years. And it became pretty apparent that they need some scoring out of the bottom six. And yeah, Yaron Croak had 20 goals this year, and that was a great story. But I think you need a couple of more pieces that are able to provide, you know, 15 to 20 goals in the third line, and you know, maybe even somebody that's pot in 10. Like Nolachari on on your fourth line, you know, the guy's shown the propensity to get double digit goals with limited ice time. Like he's a guy that I would be very happy if they brought back and can kind of fill that role of being very good defensively, but not being completely inept offensively too. Like. I think that needs to be something that they, they kind of move away from and that Dubas seem to be very kind of overboard on. Yeah, and at this point, it doesn't really seem like that there's much of a path for any of those deadline acquisitions to, to return before free agency right now. Uh, I, I would definitely like to have Noel Chari back as well, but... Same yeah, and it of, sounds like he's the guy that they're focusing on. Yeah, but his lack of foot speed also is kind of concerning. I think, like, he obviously makes up for it with other elements of his game. Like, I think he was still near the top of the the leaderboard in hits uh, for the playoffs yeah. by the time the Stanley Cup was handed out. And he's a guy who's going to bring it every night. You know, dive in front of shots on the penalty kill and lay his body on the line night after night. But I, I think just as 
as we were talking about the composition of the forward group and the lack of speed, I think that's something else that's got to be taken into consideration if if you are looking to bring back a player like Noel Cherry. Yeah, you got to supplement it with some 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 speed on his line. Like you got, there has to be a way to you know to kind of balance that out because when it was him, as much as the O'Reilly, Achari, Nye's line looked good, they also looked very slow at times too. So yeah. like having, like, I don't think you can, can, you know, compose a line that's, that's like that, um, for next year. Like that's definitely going to have to be something that they look at, but it's, it's, I don't know my, like, I don't want to lose his physicality. So unless you can find a way to, to, you know, find somebody that can do what he's doing, but you know, not have cement feet obviously would be preferable, but I think he's going to come at a pretty decent ticket. And it does sound like, like Freeman on the, the Leafs nation show there had, I think they see, he, he, called out Shan O'Reilly and, and Achari as guys that they're actively talking to right now to try to resign. So I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of them are back. Well, with the way, like, I think we were all equally impressed with each of those players in their short time with the Leafs last season and especially into the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I would definitely still be at least kicking tires and, and keeping the dialogue open with those guys right up to July 1 and, and you know, seeing how it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, and those are the guys like I would I would be looking at too, like a Cherry and Chen specifically are, are two of the guys that I would I would you know like to look into. But um, you know, ultimately, you you, you got to settle on you know a, a couple of them, right? Like it's fine to talk to all these guys and try to figure out the asks and all this, but like the for all the talk of you know early in the Matthews era of of the Leafs being you know uh, too many guys who play the same way, too many small skill guys, uh, they had too many kind of big hulking guys in in, in this playoff run, uh, and that ended up kind of being their downfall. They, they the team speed wasn't there, the the puck movement wasn't there that you know had been present for years. It, it, like you, you have to kind of get back to your roots a little bit here i think and you gotta you gotta decide on, on which guys you know fit what you're trying to do and, and then you know try to try to add a little bit more skill around them in, in that bottom six i think is, is what's got to happen now but I, I think the 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 other thing is like it, it's easy to kind of gloss over it now that we're kind of out of the heat of the battle not that we were ever in it but watching the heat of the battle and everything like that but you you look back at exactly what Achari was doing in his time on the ice with the Leafs, and then you think of the the stuff with Luke Shen and, and Pat Maroon and Shen standing between the two benches and acting as the like a, a, a shield for everything that the the Tampa Bay you know pests were trying to throw at the Leafs. And I think I still think that that stuff very much matters and will continue to matter as this team looks to you know get over the hump even further the, the next time around. So those guys and the, and what they bring in terms of intangibles, I think is still something that it should very much be a point of focus for building this team moving forward. But uh, it's, it's all going to come down to price and you still have to look at how things fit together on the ice. Yeah, I think a perfect scenario. Like, you can't expect Luke Chen to come back and do what he did in the playoffs. Like, you can't bank on that. Not for 82 games during the regular season, but how many times have you heard, like, the saying, you need two teams? You need one for the regular season and and one for the playoffs. That's kind of what I was, that's kind of I was getting at. I think having him back as your six, seven and, the like the the kind of counterpart to that is Timmins. Like you kind of slot them in and out throughout the year, and you know whatever, and kind of ride the hot hand or, or situationally depending on the team you're playing, like which guy you put in. Like I think that's like your 
an ideal scenario to have as as those two guys as kind of your your six and seven D going into the into the playoffs and then or into the regular season and then obviously you know Shen's probably going to be more valuable in the playoffs for you when the ice shrinks but no I, I I'm just you I'm just I think everybody agrees and knows this but like you can't really pencil him into playing with Morgan Riley for eighty two games no. and getting the same the same effectiveness you got out of him in the playoffs. No, absolutely not. You, you got to manage that. Um, so uh, we'll come back to uh, some roster construction stuff here in just a, just a little bit. Um, another note from that press conference, which I, I think we all kind of took for granted at this point, was that uh, Sheldon Keefe will return as head coach. And it, it would have been a, a real prick job of a move to, to fire him at this point, right? I mean... Um, that would have been tough. So I, I, I think that we kind of all expected this once that move didn't happen within a couple of weeks of, of the, the tree living higher. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I'm like, at least judging by my Twitter timeline, I'm very much in the minority here, but like, I'm totally fine with Sheldon Keefe coming back. I still think he's a very good coach. I still think he's a very good communicator. I don't think you can completely lay all the fault on a coach or even a GM for that matter, when the guys who lead your team all season long and put up outstanding numbers and are some of the best players in the league, just completely shit all over themselves in certain moments of the playoffs, right? Like who else are they supposed to rely on it? it, Like these guys have shown through the course of several regular seasons that they are elite players and I don't think you can be faulted for banking on them eventually coming through in the playoffs. So I think a lot of the blame that's been laid at Sheldon Keefe's feet is, is a little unfair personally, but there there's also some very valid criticisms of him, you know, not adjusting to certain things throughout the, the postseason over the last few years. And I think, you know, extension or not, he's very much entering the season on the hot seat. Oh yeah. First, you know, if, if they're if they're uh, you know out of a playoff spot or in like you know a, a playoff kind of bubble in fuck as early as November, he's he's on the hot seat. Like he's very much going to be a sacrificial lamb if the season doesn't start well. Um, but and it, uh, you think about it, it's kind of a smart move by Tre Living, right? He's insulating because, himself for uh, sure. Yeah, like every GM is going to get at least one of their own coaches, and and Sheldon Keith is not going to be Treliving's guy, or he's not his hire as Leafs coach or whatever. He kind of inherited him here, so there is a, a level of insulation there. But I I do kind of take Brad Treliving at face value when he talks about you know believing in Sheldon Keith as a coach and, and thinking that he's the right man to lead this team. Yeah, I mean I I have my questions about Keefe as specifically like some of the some of the playoff stuff uh, of late some of the playoff stuff even this year uh you know lineup decisions um ice time decisions etc but um you know it's it's who do you go out and get who's better right away and ultimately you have to look big picture at um the system that he's got these guys playing i mean i mean like it's it's been good like you know the, this this team has been 
a great defensive team. And that's, you know, I think in large part, like he, this guy has attention to detail. Like he is, yeah. he is a good coach. He would be hired by someone else, much like Kyle Dubas was right. Like it's, um, and he doesn't give off the vibe. Like he's lost the room, you know, like you can kind of feel that when, with certain coaches, when their time mm-hmm. is coming up, like we definitely, I think all recognize that towards the end of Mike Babcock's tenure that he had, you know, the message wasn't getting yeah. delivered anymore. His voice had definitely grown stale uh, in the room. And I just, I don't get that sense with, with Sheldon Keefe just yet. No, agreed. Um, and as I mentioned, of course, Kyle Dubas w- did move on to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, President of Hockey Ops, Jason Spezza, also goes to the Penguins. He's what, assistant to the yet-to-be-named general manager, right? I think he, his official title is actually assistant general manager this okay. time around. All right, stepping yeah. up. So uh, up in the world. a bit of a promotion in title for for old Spets, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, just kind of salt in the wound. That's tough. Uh, and and uh, Spencer Carberry hired away by the Capitals as well to be their head coach. So Leafs with an opening on the um, on the bench. That that'll be a, something to watch here in the coming weeks and months as well. Um, back to Dubis. So. I mean, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but um, a- any any comments, any concerns? Um, I mean, obviously, one of the one of the big kind of things that people have been hammering him for, which I find totally ridiculous, is is the idea that you know he said he was either going to be in Toronto or or you know taking a year off, and you know you you look at the circumstances around the question, and and obviously the fact that he got shit canned by Toronto days yeah. later. Uh, which kind of uh, changes the calculus a little bit in terms of, um, you know, I don't know why you'd, you'd sit out out of respect for the organization that just fired your ass. But um, apparently some people think it makes him a hypocrite. So, yeah, well, a lot of the people that are criticizing Dubas for that are also praising the Leafs for basically doing the same thing by, you know, changing their mind over the course of a couple of days and deciding to move off of Dubas. So I don't think you can have it both ways there. And straight up, things change. Like, situations change. And if Dubas and his family, you know, took a, a couple of days or even a couple of hours to to decide that this was the right move for them moving forward, I don't think, you know, anyone has a right to really be critical of that. I see maybe I'm the, taking the cynical route on this and, and I'm not, I'll preface this by saying, I don't think he did anything wrong. I'm not blaming him for doing it, but I also think it was a, just a negotiation tactic. hundred oh, percent. And I think he knew <laughs> it wasn't like this, like altruistic thing, like that he was saying, you know, to his friends at the, in the media, like it was, it was clearly there was intent behind it. But also I think he knew in the back pocket that he had this Pittsburgh thing. Like, I don't think he, like there was smoke around that in the, you know, the, the public sphere, like clearly his agent knew that clearly he knew that. Like, I don't think he was. And then when he went back to negotiate for, you know, more power or more money or whatever that, whatever it was that he went back for, like he did that knowing that he was falling back on the Pittsburgh thing. Like I don't, yeah, I mean, Yes, the situation changed and, and, you know, he was let go, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I still didn't like that he said that publicly. I, I didn't like it when he said it in the moment, you know, and yeah. I, I obviously don't like it now. Like, I think he, I don't think he's blameless in, in how all of this went down. I know that it, it makes, it definitely paints Shanahan in a bit of like a, you know, trigger happy kind of like, you know, made an impulse 
emotional, you know, decision in a industry and world that you probably shouldn't do those types of things. But also, I, I don't know. It just seemed like a, that, that whole press conference was weird when he was saying that he wasn't sure if, if he was going to want to do it and all that kind of stuff. So that whole thing left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. I'm obviously still a fan of Dubis and don't wish any kind of like, you know, I'm not going to, he's not like an enemy in my, my, my mind or anything like that, but that definitely wasn't uh, a very fun period to, to be a fan. Yeah, I get that. I mean, he is, um, you, you know, he, he, obviously kind of comes off as the more sympathetic character out of this whole kind mm-hmm. of kerfuffle and the, but, but, we know there, but there is an element is there where uh it's it's perhaps been slightly engineered <laughs> to to that yeah. end right it's it's not yeah. it's not perhaps a fully organic like like yes there was definitely some stuff along the way here where um he was maybe playing a little coy on on some stuff you know yeah i agree with that and, and good for him man if you're not if you're not looking out for yourself who who is right like I, I i don't blame him for anything that he did but it was just like that he was painting this picture of like you know whatever like uh, the me and my family aren't sure if we can do this again and then all of a sudden they're they're doing it again and yeah and, and again knowing that that it all changed but yeah anyways again not to not to spend too much time on it. But. It definitely seemed like his last card to play it, yeah. in terms of trying to get what he wanted out of the Leafs. And I think in doing that, he was very prepared for either outcome as I think, you know, him quickly <laughs> jumping ship over to the Penguins uh, illustrated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so just just to kind of get into um, a, a little more you know, roster stuff before we talk a little draft here. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the, the Leafs own pending um, free agents and, uh, you know, some of the guys that they've been talking to or haven't been talking to, you know, who, who should they bring back? Who shouldn't they? So, like, I, I think that they do need like something different when it comes to team building. But, you know, like one one of the things that always comes up is the like ever nebulous like they need to get tougher, they need to get harder to play against, or whatever. Uh, but, but like, do we think that that's going to work for the Leafs? Because like we we've seen the way this league and specifically this team gets called, right? Like, do we think a rough and tumble Leafs team gets the freedom to play that way in, in the manner that you know Florida got to up until the the Cup final, or Tampa, or any you know other number of teams who've had you know success with that style? Like more likely they get buried in penalties. So well, I, I got a couple of harebrained takes on that before. Oh, sorry, finish. You finish. Okay. Well, well, I I got a harebrained take for you first. So so what I think they actually need a little <laughs> more. Um, you know, it's 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 even more intangible. What I think is they they need to bring in guys who the refs would like to watch fuck their wives. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. There is no metric to figure out who fits that description, right? But but you look at That's like not on how evolvinghockey.com. You 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 look at how that dipshit Tim Peel was tweeting about the Leafs throughout their run. Oh, uh, and, and, like he is not alone in in that line of thinking, no. right? And not alone like uh, among people in the game either. Um like all of these quote unquote hockey men have their their strong feelings about the Leafs right like they're they're a water cooler topic in those circles no different than in your own office right um and you know right now the thought among those types is Leafs are a bunch of soft greedy 
pretty boys. They don't respect them. They don't, certainly don't fear them. Um, like I, I think that we could use a few more guys who rightly or wrongly just get a little more of a peer treatment from the officials, right? Like guys who they're at least somewhat concerned will, with full plausible deniability, hammer a puck at their head on a dump in <laughs> if uh, they, they think they've been done wrong, right? So like guys who after the game, like the ref room spills into the bar, they've had a couple of beers, they had a shot, then the team walks in and one of the officials is just a little tipsy and he comes over to one of the players and said, hey, would you fuck my wife while I watch? <laughs> and I think that resigning Nola Cherry and Luke Chen would be a great start on this front and honestly i think that hiring brad tree living is already a huge step in that direction as i said that earlier my, that was my point you know yeah. it, it, this is that same version of that phenomenon instead of you know players who who the refs would like to see fuck their wives it's the the gm who the media all want to be their dad and that's what tree living <laughs> is establishing so far all right. Well, I know your tongue is planted firmly in your cheek through all of that. No, I'm 100% serious. <laughs> in, in all honesty, to like your the, the point you made about how the team is viewed as a bunch of, you know, spoiled, soft, whatever adjective you want to, to use in, in that vein, I think, you know, having players like Luke Shen or Nola Cherry around and, and you know, as actual core not core members but more permanent members of this team and, and that's something else that, that i wanted to get to in terms of roster construction just the overall continuity or whatever but having players like that and helping to kind of maybe change the narrative around the leafs might you know indirectly impact the the subconscious of some of the officials in, in the league um mm -hmm. i i think it, it's definitely an interesting point I, I like how you got there especially but thank uh, you yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that, to be honest. Listen, you, you take a month off and you, the, the things I can come up with, right? <laughs> it's it's a twofold thing. It's the players. And I, I think a huge part of it is is that immediate like disdain for the Leafs is a lot of it was carried by Dubas. A lot of it was just yeah. like he was brought in as this golden boy who was going to disrupt the way that hockey men think. And immediately the hockey men didn't like that. And like... I don't like, I think so much. Yes. A lot of it probably comes from the fact that you got Nylander and Marner and those guys and they, you know, kind of go along with that, like easy to call soft. Um, they are you know. soft. They're, they're both soft as hell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like, like the, the no, nah, like you, you do that, you look at that and you look at Dubas. And I think if you, you buy swapping and tree living, a lot of that's gone. Now, if he goes out, like to me, you're talking about, I think you mentioned cam about, you know, is, do they really need more physical, you know, hard to play against guys? They've tried it. It hasn't worked. It's, it's got to come in that top six. Like th that would, to me is my number yep. one thing that I would like to see him accomplish. 100%. This off season is find somebody to play, you know, as the, I don't care if it nises the first line left winger or the second line left winger. He's, you know, he'll be in the top six. Who would that other spot? has to be somebody who can run a guy through the boards and score 25 goals. If, if that's, if, if he does that, like he will, that, that, that's gone. That, that reputation is gone. I think if you've got a guy that's playing 18 minutes a night, that's doing that. And, and then Dubas is gone. I don't think 
that the fear of the like every ref in the league hating them and the media treatment that they're getting will, will be there. Um, he's got a chance to to kind of write that. I think. I think like talking about the top six. I think Austin Matthews has taken significant strides in, in those areas, especially you know come playoff time. I think he's been a much more physical player than we saw mm-hmm. at the beginning of his career. But it can't only be on him, and it doesn't seem to kind of light that fire under the the other guys in the top six. So I'm totally with you, Keith. You need more than one guy pulling on that rope and more than one important guy on your roster that's pulling on that rope. And and it can't just be Austin Matthews. And it can't just be Austin Matthews when when the volume gets turned up around playoff time. It needs to be a a more ingrained part of the, the overall team identity. And I think that's kind of part of what I was going to get to with the the overall continuity of the roster. I think when when Treliving is looking to rebuild this bottom six, I would like to see. I, I know it's it seems kind of counterproductive to talk about handing out longer deals or whatever to to kind of depth pieces or whatever you want to call them, but the, just the constant churn of bargain pieces Mm -hmm. and you know lottery tickets that have kind of filled out this forward group over the years i I just think that the 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 team needs to to have a little bit more of that continuity and a little bit i don't know just kind of establish that culture and the overall identity of the team beyond the just the the big four forwards and i think that you know there hasn't been much that's come out through the media or whatever rumor speak whatever since Treliving has taken over. But the the one thing that I, I really liked hearing was kind of trying to de-emphasize the narrative around the core four mm. and, and all that. And I, I totally agree with that, that this needs to be looked at as more of a, an entire kind of team, big picture thing than just, you know, relying and putting everything on four or five players, kind of an aside, we really have to start calling it the core five after the way Morgan Riley played in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, like that's that's the point about it being, you know, important minutes on the team that that I think needs to be kind of reemphasized. Like they can go out and sign Hathaway or something like that, and and I want them to. Like I would love to have him, but I would I, I would love to sign Hathaway for like three to four years, Two years. In, in, yeah. instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of a, a one year kind of come make your money. And, and that's, sh- I kind of like that too because then you're probably lower in the AAV, and every penny's gonna help with this team, right? Yeah. So like. It, that's that's the thing. Like, and I keep seeing people like it's talk risky, about how, but you you have to identify the right guys to take those risks on. Yeah, exactly. And I I keep seeing like how it's like oh you get a pencil in like Holmberg and Bobby McMahon and and these things where it's like they're you know um, no flexibility, but they definitely have a lot of flexibility. Like uh, the, if you look at the cap space that they have, like it's it's actually pretty significant. Like compared to some of the if other they're teams. able to move off of Matt Murray they've got almost 20 million in cap space to exactly at a top like six to, winger. to think that they're just gonna have to roll out like the Marlies from last year yeah. and you know like I, I there's room to significantly add pieces to this team which is why I'm kind of like well, let's pump the brakes on saying that they're running it back entirety and true living's doing nothing and all this kind of stuff like I think we're gonna like there's some there's some attractive names out there in free agency I know it's not a great class but there's still some names that I think would be nice fits for the least. Well, well, on that note, our guy Kyle Cushman wrote about uh, some potential bargain bin options for the score. And I know, like you said, you know, that there's potentially room to do a little more, but no doubt the Leafs will be uh, shopping the bargain bin as usual. A um, f- few names that I-, I thought were interesting in that piece. 
um, right at the top, Connor Brown. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't know what his, uh, you know, health status is going to be. How you know how much time he's going to take to get back up to speed, whatever. But sounds like he, he's going to be coming cheap. Yeah, and I'm, like going back to when he was initially moved out, I don't think there was anyone that was clamoring for Connor Brown to be shipped away from Toronto. Certainly not just, run out of town or anything like that. No, and I think all he's done since then is establish himself even further as a as a bona fide quality you know offensive option he's not going to he's not going to anchor a line he's not going to lead your team in scoring or anything like that but he is a, a reliable offensive piece who you know in the right situation there's no reason he couldn't go out and pot you 20 25 goals and i think there's definitely a, a path to to him ending up back in toronto you look at a, a guy who just missed an entire year with injury how many times have we seen guys want to come into Toronto and, you know, kind of play under those bright lights and establish themselves and, and you know, the whole kind of prove it deal thing. It, it runs kind of counteractive to what I was just saying about trying to, to have some guys here a bit longer term instead of just the, the constant turnover in the forward group. But he's definitely a guy I'd be on board uh, taking a flyer on camp. I, I don't know how I ended up hearing this, but uh, it was some, some sort of Oilers podcast that frank saravalli was on and said that he expects there to be a market for brown where he could get four four to five years at four to five million jesus murphy i I was like what (laughs) because the whole thing that the the oilers podcast guys were like you know connor brown makes like everything you just said but for edmonton like go play with mcdavid and dry settle and make and you know have a huge year and then go sign a big deal somewhere else kind of thing oh yeah and he was like oh i don't know about that guys not to pour cold water on it but i think there's gonna be anyways not to derail the thought but i thought that that was outrageous for a guy who is coming off of like an acl injury uh, cerebelli just seems like he's gotten to like just king contrarian at this point, it's, it's almost like he's throwing cold water on anything that is suggested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's still got to burr up his ass about uh, the Leafs burning him. and The O'Reilly trade. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another couple of names, you know, that were on there. Uh, Pia Suter, who played with Matthews in, in Switzerland, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's only, you know, it only means so much guys that have kind of been linked to the Leafs or kind of rumor that the Leafs have had interest in the past now that, uh, you know, there's been a regime change, right? But um, but a lot of the same people in the front office are still in place, right? So yeah. It, it's, yeah, there's a different guy at the head of the table, but a, a lot of the, the other people eating at that table are, are the same faces that were there over the last four or five six years yeah exactly um another name that i i don't think the leafs are going to have in, any interest in and, and frankly I, I probably think that they should have none is uh but but i just had to mention it jonathan Drewan, who no, obviously uh, starred God, in no. halifax you know one of my <laughs> one of my faves when i when he was in junior Ten years and, ago uh, i would have been so excited about yeah. the prospect of that <laughs> no i'm gonna take a hard pass <laughs> And uh, Matthew Phillips, who was drafted by uh, Brad Tree Living early in his tenure in Calgary, who uh, is one of those, what is it, Group 6 UFAs? Whatever Bunting the was. The Michael I Bunting think. situation. Exactly. Yes. So. Going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea who this person is. He, he's <laughs> been a big time scorer in the American League over the last couple of years. Right. He's just an undersized guy who just hasn't really been afforded a whole lot of opportunity at the NHL level and mm-hmm. definitely wasn't getting it with uh, Daryl Sutter behind the bench in Calgary. <laughs> but yeah, it, 
Cameron's just talking about how much you can take out of guys who have been previously linked to the Leafs or whatever, but there's still a very obvious link between Matthew Phillips and Brad Tree Living. So I, I think that that's definitely someone that uh, he'll be kicking tires on when July 1 rolls around. And just to kind of uh, piggyback off that thought, I mean, there there are obviously some other possibilities there with former Flames. Um, it, it feels like the uh, Leafs signing Michael Stone could be like a, a, a real good bet to place because he's he's had him in Arizona and Calgary, right? And if, if, if did he go back to Calgary a couple times? I'm not sure. It feels like Michael Stone's been a tree living guy all the way through. I think he's on his or just finishing up his second stint with the Flames, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so, you know, there are some other interesting targets and, and obviously Calgary is going through its own thing right now with a lot of guys wanting out. Uh, who, who knows, you know, what kind of a... Uh, an exodus we're looking at here. Um, you know, Noah Hannafin, I, I think he wants to go to the States, so he's probably not an, an option. Um, but, you know, if, if they really decide to kind of tear this thing down, like Dylan Dubé, Rasmus Anderson, could I be so Oh, my God, bold? Rasmus Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would do a lot of terrible things to have Rasmus Anderson in a Leafs jersey. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on now that Craig Conroy's in, in place there after taking over for Brad Tree Living. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some conversations about uh, some of his former guys. So, Well, on that topic, uh, not that he's the world's most reliable source, but Peg Nada just linked Zadarov to Vancouver, Toronto, and Florida. There's Zadorov or whatever the fuck you say his name. I, I can totally see that. And Zadorov was a guy that I kind of labeled as, as a potential target for the Leafs going into the deadline this past year. That was obviously before they acquired Jake McCabe. But yeah, if you're looking for a guy who's going to bring an imposing physical element on the back end, uh, Z- yeah. Zadorov's your guy. <laughs> but what he did to poor Andre Kasha. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that was a beautiful hit, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. Just uh, could not catch a break or caught too many breaks. I, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely not the most I- intriguing uh, free agent class. And there's not a, a whole lot of big, sexy names on, on the trade bait boards either. But th- there's definitely going to be some stuff out there that, you know, isn't uh, just out in the open right now that Tri Living will be kicking tires on. So. Definitely going to see some kind of uh, change to the the bottom of this lineup, and I wouldn't be surprised if they add a defenseman like Zadorov either, especially if they aren't able to retain Luke Shen. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do more UFA talk uh, next week, as you know that some of that will be underway, but I'm sure there'll be still plenty of names out there by the time we record again. Um, we wanted to to talk a little bit about the draft, which again is is coming up quick here. Um, Tree Living's draft record has been, you know, kind of not a, good. <laughs> it, it's been a topic of debate. Uh, obviously, a couple of really strong drafts when he first came to Calgary, and and not so much of late. And it, obviously, it's about a lot more than you know, just the guy at the helm. Um, and obviously, the Leafs still have you know most people in place. We didn't see kind of the mass exit that I was uh, fearing we might uh, when in kind of the immediate wake of of the Dubas firing. Um, at least it hasn't hasn't come yet and you know Dubas has kind of settled into Pittsburgh and when we still haven't seen it so that's that's comforting I, I will see when maybe some contracts start expiring perhaps in the next few weeks who knows but at least for the draft it looks like uh, you know the Leafs are going to have most of the the team in place that they had all season um, so 
it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much they kind of uh, uh, differ from past draft strategies. Hard to nail down a draft strategy when there's some years you're picking like three guys, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, but, you know, th- there are going to be some some interesting names available, I think, by the time the least pick at 28th and um Granting, of course, as we said earlier, Brad Tree Living did say that he, uh, you know, planned to make the pick at 28. A lot can change. Maybe, uh, you know, it's the same situation as last year where the Leafs packaged their first round pick with an underperforming overpaid backup goalie to move down. And this whole discussion is rendered <laughs> moot. But, um, Nick, you know, you spent at least, you know, the first part of the season with Dauber prospects. Um, I, I know you're probably not quite as, as sharpened up on the, uh, the, the film study while, uh, you're, you're undertaking lobster season. So, uh, you can be forgiven on that front, I would think. Uh, <laughs> but, um, 28th pick, you know, you never know who's going to be available, but who, who do you kind of expect to be maybe in the neighborhood among names that you like? I think obviously the the dream scenario here would be Callum Ritchie, but I think even with the way that he's kind of slid down draft boards as the season's gone on, chances of him still being there at 28 are very, very slim. I'd be personally running and giving Brad Trey living a, a piggyback ride up to the draft podium. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, if six, still- two right shot center with playmaking ability. He's gone. He's gone by 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I mean, you're, you're probably looking at some guys, I don't know, like Otto Stenberg's a, a Swedish forward. He, he really excelled on the international stage, uh, this year, starting, uh, back with the Holinka Gretzky cup last summer. Um, it, just a, a really talented puck handler, a guy who can really fire the puck. He's got good vision and stuff. Uh, one of my preferred targets who hasn't really been talked about a lot, in, in at least in the conversations that I've seen happening on Twitter and stuff, is Riley Height. He's a, a center with Prince George in the WHL. He was another guy who earlier on in the season, uh, a lot of people had him ranked, you know, probably closer to the top 10 than the the back end of the first round. And it seems like he's kind of slid down into that Leafs range. Uh, not a really big guy, but he plays with a real edge, really competitive guy, great vision. Um, not the, the best skater in the world by any means, but I think there, there's a lot of projectable offensive tools and, and that, that physicality is something that, you know, teams are always coveting. He'd be a guy I'd really be high on in that spot. Um, Gavin Brindley, who just, uh, finished up his freshman year at Michigan. Uh, he was actually probably the first player that jumped out to me in the 2023 class when I was still scouting the 2022 class undersized guy but outstanding motor just like a Swiss army knife right the, the kind of guy that can play up and down the lineup play in the middle play on the wing uh, I think you could do a lot worse than nabbing a guy like that at the 28th spot then you know you've got uh, Denny Goche's son do you guys remember Denny Goche, the defenseman with Calgary? Uh, Ethan, right? Uh, yeah. Is, is yeah. his son? Yeah, I remember. He was, he was one tough bastard, also quite dirty oh, uh, yeah. a lot of the time. But he was, yeah, nails. And, you know, Ethan definitely has that element to his game. I don't, maybe not so much the... Uh, the, the grease under the, the elbows kind of deal, but it definitely plays a physical game, is not scared to, to finish a check and get in on the four check and really lay the body. But he's got a, a just a ton of hockey sense, you know, as much as you can quantify that. 
a really strong playmaking forward who can put the puck in the net as well. Just kind of gets to the inside, helps to really like string plays together and sustain possessions for his team off the cycle and things like that. He would definitely be a, a guy that I would be looking at in that spot. And then on the back end, you, you know, you've got Tanner Molendyke. I know we were joking on Twitter, Cam uh, Travis Derm at 2.0. But I think his ceiling is is probably a bit higher than Travis Dermott's even was when he was coming out of the OHL after a really strong junior career. Just an incredibly strong skater, defends the rush exceptionally well, can start the rush on the other side of the puck, and he'll play the body too. Again, not a big guy, but still has some room to, to kind of fill out and add some muscle to his frame. Yeah, there was something about his uh, tape that just I, I really liked. Uh, yeah, his willingness to engage physically. Like, it just, you know, some, sometimes... It takes away time and space, like, proactively. Yeah, sometimes small guys look like big guys when, when they're out there and they're being aggressive. And, and you know, I, he's, I think, 5'11". So, I, I mean, not not huge, certainly. But when, when you look at uh, the, the influx of, of smaller forwards, that's the way they the game is going right the the skill like if you've got a guy who can really motor like that and if you can handle some of those like water bug guys because you've got the uh, the the ranginess and the athletic ability you got the feet yeah i like him might be like i know a lot of people have called him the the, the best skater in the entire draft i think i would still give that honor to oliver moore the oh yeah ntdp forward who's probably going to go in like the top 10 or 15 i absolutely fucking love that kid and there was a a point earlier this season where he was projected more towards the the back part of the first round and i was really really excited about that but as the season has gone on he's definitely climbed in terms of public perception and is probably going to be gone in the first 10 to 12 picks um but yeah, if for some reason that guy falls down the draft board, I'd be, you know, kind of trying to orchestrate some kind of trade up, even though they don't really have the assets. But that's the kind of player that you would kind of try to move mountains for, in my opinion. Um, just kind of rounding out the, the the list of guys that I have who could be available around 28. Caden Price is another defenseman out west. He played with Kelowna. Uh, just really toolsy guy. I, I think there's still a lot of refining to be done in his game, but you don't really have to squint too hard to see how he could grow into a really impactful top four defenseman at the NHL level. Um, Jaden Perron is a winger with Chicago in the USHL. Who you know, I know Kyle Dubas is no longer in charge here, but the the relationship between the Chicago Steel and the Leafs has been very strong over the last few years. And as we were just referring to, there's a lot of the same people in place in the Leafs front office who, you know, have been around during that time. So I think they would have definitely, well, and they would have been watching Nick Moldenhauer, uh, a third round pick from last year's draft who played with Piranha at, uh, in Chicago this past season. That's right. Ryan Hardy as well, still with the organization. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Former steel GM. So Piranha is definitely someone that they, they would be familiar with. I would imagine, uh, another undersized winger. I know that's not going to intrigue a lot of people who are listening to this, but just the, the skill that this guy has and the intelligence and the, the way that he processes the game is just, in my opinion, truly elite level stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of tape on him yet, but the little I have, I was pretty blown away. Yeah, yeah they're like outstanding hands, really creative. And, you know, even though I wouldn't call him like a defensive stalwart by any means, I was always really impressed with the way that he did work on the defensive side of the pocket. The effort was at least there. And I think that's a lot of the time is half the battle, especially with these young prospects. So he's, I, I think he's kind of, He's been a, a bit of a polarizing prospect. I think a, a lot of people in the public sphere have liked him a lot more than maybe some of the more traditional 
draft analysts have him pegged at or where they have him pegged to go in the draft right now. I, I think on Bob McKenzie's list, which is usually pretty reliable in terms of how the draft is going to shake out, he was like closer to the the 60 range. So, I mean, if there's a couple of players like that who are still on the board when the Leafs are coming up at 28, I would definitely be in support of trading down to try and nab a couple of them. Um, but yeah, Jaden Perron's a, a player that I would definitely have a lot of interest in and be excited about if the Leafs were able to grab him. And then after that, I, I think uh, Riley Heights' teammate out in Prince George, Cohen Zemer, uh, just your prototypical like power scoring winger. He's going to run guys through the board. He's got an outstanding shot, great hands, gets to the net front. Just not a really great skater. But uh, you know, we've seen over the past few years the Leafs haven't really shied away from players like that who they believe they can you know kind of improve that area of their game and I think you know with that improved mobility Zemer could eventually be a really really impactful scoring kind of power forward at the NHL level so I think those are all kind of elements that this team would like to add long term obviously drafting for need is never or drafting for immediate need I should say is never really a a good plan but you know, you, you do have to look at your organizational needs uh, down the line, and I think a, a player like Zemer would be a really great fit. Yeah, I, I'd like a few of those guys that you mentioned. Um, obviously, Molendyke, as we were talking about, really, really like Brindley. I watched a fair bit of him kind of earlier today, actually, and and uh, yeah, I'd been seeing some of his stuff during the year. Really, really exciting player, and again, like a guy who just uh, you know, small guy, lot of skill, but engages on the defensive side, and and you know has that. Uh, desire to kind of affect the game and that's what you want right um another guy yeah. who's kind of in in that mold a little bit uh grayson sachin um, oh who, man I, yeah i didn't even list him on that little twitter thread that i did but he's definitely another name that i would be very very interested in that range but he's kind of skyrocketed up boards lately so he, he could be gone a little bit earlier than a lot of people may have expected earlier on in the season yeah high level of compete with him yeah uh, i really liked what i saw from from his tape uh quentin musty i, I he's gonna be gone isn't he by 28 i think so and again as you kind of mentioned i, I left the dauber uh, prospects draft scouting team. I think it was sometime in December. So a lot of my viewings of these players took place earlier on in the season and musty was maybe the most divisive prospect amongst our group early in the season, just because you can obviously see the tools. Like he's six foot two, he's 200 pounds. He's big, he's strong. He's got outstanding hands, good vision and stuff. But Early on in the season, I was just really turned off by a lot of his decision-making with the puck on his stick and just some of the things that, that he did on the defensive side of the puck as well. Um, but again, th- those tools are just super intriguing, and you've got to think that someone is going to take a swing on him well before 28. And by all accounts, he really worked a lot of those kinks out of his game in the second half of the season. So probably mitigating against some of those concerns that, that I had with him early on in the season. I definitely wouldn't be upset if he's the player that the Leafs managed to land at 28. Yeah. Um, some good names there. I'm, I'm you know hopeful that uh, they'll be able to land one of these guys that I have spent meticulous time researching over the last week and a half. <laughs> um, hey, Nick, you want to remember a Leaf? Oh, man. I forgot about remembering. Yeah, uh, Keith. Keith dropped off the call. He he does not remember Leafs as we've 
long <laughs> since established. Did we lose Keith? <laughs> we did. Yeah. He really wasn't up for the draft chat, eh? Yeah, it started and he I just I heard the little bleep bloop. He's gone. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Keith, All right. Keith had plans. We went over time. Um hopefully the listeners uh, stay a little more engaged than <laughs> Keith did. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you remember Justin Pogey. <laughs> How could I forget? How could any of us? How could any of us? Did he just re- retire recently he, or something? He did just announce his retirement, yeah. Okay. If that doesn't make you feel like you're about to turn to dust and blow away into the horizon. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. He, well, I mean, he lasted longer in pro hockey than uh, Tuka Rask did, right? I, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen anyone make that point. God damn. God damn. I guess you're right. Wow. <laughs> well, chalk I mean, one, one up for Pogi. is a little more. Yeah, chalk <laughs> one up for Pogi, and that's about the only The score one. is 238 to one. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, obviously the guy who uh, caused the Leafs to decide, ah, we, we don't need two potential superstar future goaltenders. One is fine. One didn't quite work out. Yeah. You know how many games he played for the Leafs? Justin Pogey. Want to take a shot? I want to say, I'm going to say like eight. It's pretty good. Seven. Really? Oh, geez. I was close. Six, six starts, seven appearances. All in 08, 09. Yeah. He didn't really have a, a real extended uh, audition with the club, but uh, I guess, you know, he had uh, Andrew Raycroft playing ahead of him at that point. <laughs> Hard. Hard to get past old uh, Razor, isn't it? Oh, my. Dark days, man. Hard to get past old Razor, especially when you're putting up uh, an 895 with the Marlies. Yeah. Yeesh. Um, but all the best to him on, on his retirement. Uh, you know, good to see that uh, that he's been grinding it out. You got to think, like, that, that's a guy who probably, you know, he took a lot of slings and arrows over the years just for the, the fact that... He, the Leafs decided to trade Tuka Rask yeah. and really nothing beyond that. So yeah, he, he definitely, uh, definitely took uh, a, a lot of jabs over the years that were not really his, uh, his own fault so much as, uh, the fault of the management of the Maple Leafs hockey club at the time. Yeah. At JFJ. We're very good. I think at, at pointing, uh, fingers at the right people. Yeah. JFJ. Um, Anyway, next week, we'll talk more about how Alex Kerfoot needs to fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. We'll continue pointing fingers in the right place. Um, I remember when he scored that OT winner uh, in round one against Tampa, I tweeted, never again a bad word about Alex Kerfoot, and that lasted about three weeks. Yeah, that um, that, that second round really uh, really undid a lot of good in a hurry, didn't it? Oh, man. It's actually incredible how much goodwill was undone in such a short time. Cause you, you think back to even heading into the playoffs, man, it was, his team just needs to win around. This team just needs to win around. And they did that. And immediately afterwards they fall apart in the second round. And it's, it's like that entire first round and everything that went along with it was completely erased. And uh, yeah, we, we've seen more upheaval, following that than we did after any of the seasons in which they were eliminated in the first round. So you never yeah. know what you're going to get, I guess. No, that's right. And that, uh, 
concludes the largest amount of time that we'll spend talking about the second round loss. I think we're we're moved on. <laughs> I did have a note here though. I f- forgot to share this uh, episode twenty one. That that's called uh, LTL's first annual Leafs playoff meltdown show. That is after they lost to the Habs. If you want to go back Oof. and drink some tears, plenty of them in that one. Perhaps the most of our run. Uh, episode fifty two. Not mad, just disappointed. That's the Tampa loss. A lot of the same <laughs> shit. A lot of the same shit that we said in there can be applied here. Just copy and paste that over. You can flip over to both of those if you want after this one. And there's our commentary. <laughs> Before we go, I, I just I do want to say that it, it feels like a lot of the narrative that's been around the team following that that loss to Florida in the second round has been really revisionist. You know, like everyone talking about how William Nylander was the only one of the stars to show up. Like, did you guys see him in in the first round against Tampa? He was god awful. Yeah, Austin Matthews scored five goals in six games in it in that opening round, including you know a couple to spearhead a massive comeback in what was a, a enormous win for the club. And then you know he, he goes cold in the second round, and he's talked about as if he was a complete bum for the entire playoffs who didn't do anything. So there's a, a fair amount of recency bias, I think, in just the overall narrative around some of the players and the team as a whole after how things went against Florida. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to point that out because I haven't really seen anyone talking about it and it's been kind of eating at me a little bit. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's lots of, uh, lots of blame to go around. There's lots around. of blame to go around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, and we'll continue dishing it out on the next episode of <laughs> Lamenting the Leaks. <laughs>